Welcome back for another episode of Last Ones at the Bar. This is your one-stop shop for all your boxing needs. My name is William Henry. My name is Daniel Lee. And my name is Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, we've got about eight topics we're going to discuss this week. Um, before we get to that, you know, we like to do like an introduction, introductory question just to, you know, get warmed up a little bit. Um, we got the NFL action that's going to take place. Do you guys have any predictions for the final four games? I haven't been following closely, but uh, my understanding is Mahomes should be back, in which case um, I would probably go on the side of the Chiefs. And it's kind of hard to bet against uh, Tom Brady, you know, so that's kind of my, my rough prediction I would go. I predict that a Bay will go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's what I predict. <laughs> I do think the Tampa Bay versus Green Bay uh, matchup will be pretty good because of the you know legendary quarterbacks of Tom Brady uh, versus Aaron Rodgers, uh, both you know Hall of Fame uh, quarterback greats. Um, you know what, Buffalo and uh, Kansas City is a, is a great matchup too. But I, I'm definitely close for Mahomes. Uh, I hope Mahomes and and, and Kansas City uh, pull it off. And my prediction is Kansas City takes it all on, on Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but you pretty much don't have a dog in a fight, huh? Uh, no. Uh, personally, I'm a, I'm a Lions fan, so it's a pretty, you know, sad uh, moment for us. Yeah, brother, you've been sad for a long time. I haven't been, been, been relevant since Night Train Lane. You understand what I'm saying? But, you know, for me, uh, when I look at these matchups, you know, I'm like you, Danny, to a certain degree. I'm not really a huge football fan, but I do watch from time to time. You know, um, I like football season. You know, I like when, when that time comes around, but I'm not necessarily a huge football watcher. But I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you know, over the years when I lived in different areas, people kind of forced me into becoming a fan. So knowing that I'm from Milwaukee and I used to live in Dallas, oh, you from Milwaukee? The cheeseheads suck and all of this type of stuff. And I wouldn't even want to have those type of conversations. So since they approached me, I had to come back at them. Like, you know, forget the Cowboys, this and that. So I developed, you know, more of a liking for football over the years. But, you know, I'm going to go with that bad man, Aaron Rodgers, to, you know, take care of Tampa Bay. And then over in the AFC, that's tough because the Chiefs, I mean, they got all that offense. They got all of those weapons. But at the same time, sometimes they look a little shaky. And I think that Buffalo is much more of a complete team. And they have a really sound defense. So that could go either way. But I'll go with the champs. And I think that it'll be KC versus Green Bay, like Super Bowl one. And then just like Super Bowl one, you're going to have Green Bay um, bringing a title back home. So that's my prediction. But anyway, it was not a football podcast. We're here to talk boxing. We're here to give you a box of needs. Last night, Showtime had a, a fight card. It had, well, at least um, from my understanding, there was three fight, fights on there. And the main event, they had Stephen Fulton versus Angelo Leo. First off, did you guys see that fight? And if you did... What did you think of that bout? Yeah, I checked uh, that fight out. Um, you know, we have Stephen Fulton, ATNO, with uh, eight knockouts. And then uh, he went up against uh, 
Angelo Leo Leo, uh, twenty and zero uh, with eight knockouts, both undefeated guys. Um, this was interesting. Uh, very exciting fight. Um, I was very impressed with Stephen Fulton and how he fought that fight. Um, I, I've, I've always heard rumors about his physical conditioning, but to see it play out in a fight was very incredible to watch. You know, these are smaller guys. You know, they, they, neither of them had have like exceptional power or anything like that. But the this fight was one off of um, two things: uh, Fulton, Fulton being a, a better, uh, more all around better fighter. He could do uh, different things. He even if if um, even if the inside fighting was not going to work for him, he could have easily just stayed on outside and box where. Angelo Leo, he really was a pretty good inside fighter. He was being outfought. And the second thing is this fight was won off of, as I said earlier, the conditioning. Um, Fulton was was way more conditioned uh, than Leo, and Leo had trouble keeping up. I mean, it was certain times, you know, in the midway of the fight and the later rounds where in the corner, Leo looked like he was, you know, dying in the corner. Uh, and, and from then on, especially round five, one, I knew it was over for him. I really only had him when I went in round four. But yeah, he wasn't. Angelo Leo seemed to not be as as well conditioned as Stephen uh, Fulton. But um, I still give him his props. He fought hard. You know, a young guy. He didn't have to put his undefeated record on line. Neither of these guys did. He he fought uh, very hard, even in his his loss. And uh, most guys, when they're exhausted like that, they seem to just you know, give up on himself. He never really gave up. He fought to the end. But Stephen Fulton um, is a a new force in the 122-pound division. Yeah, I checked the fight out, and it, it was a pretty solid scrap. Um, I, this first time I, I've seen both guys, to be honest with you. And um, what I recognize is that, you know, as the announcers were saying, that um, Fulton fights a different style typically but he took the approach of bringing a fight to Leo. Um, I mean, it was a good fight. I think that nowadays, and, you know, I tell you guys this, you know, quite often that you are, when it comes to like bouts like this and cards like this, you are much bigger boxing fans than I am because by the time we made it to the main event, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, that when you have boxing on Saturday night on Showtime, that I'm expecting more. And I'm expecting more out of champions. Not, no knock against these guys. I mean, you have to do what it is that you have to do. But I just didn't think that that was a caliber of fight that you would, it would suggest that it was for a world title. I thought it was a good matchup, and I thought it was a pretty evenly uh, matched bout. But I just didn't think that it was should have been for a belt. But – I mean, everybody has belts now. So, but just like you said, I mean, you did a really good job of breaking it down. Um, I'm interested to see where Fulton goes from here. He's going to try to unify. Um, but I mean, that's all I have as far as that fight is concerned. I caught it as well. Um, I had personally scored it 117-111 in Fulton's favor. A lot of those rounds were were pretty close, and that was kind of a generous score, low key. You know, Fulton, he doesn't have the KO power, but uh, his jab is is uh, is pretty heavy and it's sharp, and it'll keep you at bay. So he did a good job of controlling the distance when he wanted to. Um, like you said, Will, he fought Leo's fight um, on the inside, and he did it a little bit better than he did. Uh, like you said, Vel, he, 
you know, his condition is crazy. He threw 1,183 punches, landed 364, um, threw 913 power shots, which is the third most in the history of that weight class uh, since copy boss became a thing. So uh, very impressive output on his end. I didn't know anything about those guys either. It was my first time watching both of them, but, but Fulton looked good. Um, we'll see, you know, where they go next at the 122-pound division. Um, on the, Next up on that card, we had Raiz Alim versus Victor Pasillas. He he knocked Pasillas down in the second, sixth, ninth, and 11th round when the ref eventually stopped it in the 11th after that last one. Um, you know, Alim has a, a unique style, and, and Pasillas never seemed to really figure it out. And he, you know, he has that that punch, and you know, I thought he looked really good. Like you said, you know, there there are some elements missing, and you know, unfortunately, he's sturdy. You know, we don't know how long, you know, what what his physical prime is going to look like in terms of like will that align with with that season that you're alluding to. But you know, now he has himself in a position to where he's an interim WBA champion. Puts him in the line for a potential title fight um, in the near future. And so, um, yeah, we'll see where he goes from there. That's all I really got on that one. Yeah, I agree with you guys. This fight was a, a pretty good one, uh, pressing one for Raiz uh, Aline. Um, I was more impressed that, again, just like the main event, you had uh, two undefeated fighters. You know, neither of them had to, especially in this era where the old matters so much, they didn't have to put that their O's on the line, and they did. Um, it was interesting when you when I uh, see two fights on the same car with two with you know four fighters who are in the same weight class. Uh, I look at certain things like power and speed and pace. Um, and even though this fight was not fought at a sustained pace, like uh, a sustained harder pace as uh, the Fulton Leo fight, uh, the first thing I noticed was the hand speed. Like both of their hands were just fast. It was lightning fast. It came out very aggressive. Uh, Pasilas came out aggressive. Uh, the one thing I thought was interesting early on was that uh, Aline was catching Pasilas with, uh, you know, with counter rights. And I knew right then, even though uh, it, they seemed pretty, you know, on the same level with that first couple rounds, I knew it was going to be a long night for Pasilas. And, you know, I proved, proved to be uh, correct in my assumption. Um, Pasilas, he came out aggressive and uh, uh, Aline made him pay, um, and he kept on making him pay, uh, and eventually he just won't, got the stoppage. And you know it was very impressive. I was happy to. See, I like uh, guys like Aline who aren't as you know popular or known as as, as most fighters. Uh, he, of course, he's from a part of Michigan where it's not much known from that area, which is Muskegon. Um, it's pretty much like the the Northwest region. So it's not, I'm not sure how many boxing gyms is, is over there, but he made his, his town proud and wanted more of them. So now there was a, a opener uh, to this card. Uh, we had uh, Rolando Romero, um, who was 12 and 0 versus every uh, Sparrow, which is uh, 10 and 2. Uh, what do you guys uh, think of this fight? Did you see it? I caught glimpses of it. Um... Sparrow, it's worth mentioning that Sparrow replaced Justin Paldo, who missed weight for that fight. 
And so Romero's belt was not on the line. Um, they kind of had him, from my understanding, they kind of had him, you know, on standby in case anything happened. And so uh, he was more or less a stand-in. But Sparrow was dropped in the first round. Um, it was mostly a one-sided fight for what I saw. He was kind of outmatched otherwise. I believe it was done in the seventh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, that said, I think all of our first experience with Romero was that, that fight where it looked like he got a, a kind of a robbery win over Jackson Marinas. And uh, he did look better in this fight than he did in that one. He's still flawed, but he's heavy handed. And you can tell he kinda, he's kind of feeling himself in the ring, more or less. And so uh, that could be your gift or your curse as a fighter. Um, you know, but I, I'm not really sure how to call it in terms of where he goes in the division from here, but um, it was an impressive win for him as it was. I, I agree with you, Danny. I thought Romero, he boxed a lot better. I had a sour taste in my mouth uh, from the last uh, fight against Jackson uh, Marinez. I thought Marinez won that, that fight in uh, August of last year. And it's it's, it's sad to see that Marinez didn't get a rematch and, you, you know, you get your life to support, you get a title shot, you you think you won, which you basically won, and it gets taken away from you and you don't get another shot. And it's it's sad to see that happen. So and you have a guy like Marrero, Romero who it seems like they're trying to, you know, put some hype around him. And uh, it's not a knock on Romero totally, but in this fight I thought he, he with uh, Avery Sparrow, I thought he boxed uh, well, he pretty much dominated Sparrow. He knocked him down in the first round. Um, and, and I was definitely impressed that he actually did box better. But I, I still think he, he tries to load up on that one shot too much. You know, he tries to – he seems to be a fighter who um, tries to be mean. And there's a difference between a fighter who looks mean and try to be mean and a fighter that is mean. You know, like, for example, uh, Canelo or Pacquiao – they don't necessarily look mean. Neither does a Floyd Mayweather. But those can be their mean fighters when they have to be. And Romero, you see him just loading up on punches, and um, it'll be interesting when he steps up and in, in the lightweight uh, weight class, where you know it, it's going to be a, a hard weight class to, to make it in if you want to be number one. And he's going to have to take those fights uh, against uh, Ryan Garcia, uh, um, a Devin Haney, a Tiafimo Lopez, or a Tank Davis. Or even uh, a Chris Col- Colbert, you know, and and it's gonna be interesting. Uh, he might want to hum himself out a little bit because this is gonna be a it, it, unless he moves up or move down or or <laughs> becomes something else. Um, it's gonna be interesting. So I'm not a big fan of uh, Rolando Romero, but you know he did what he had to do. He did a good job. You're right, and to add on to what you're saying as far as him is meanness and you know it appears to be kind of like an act you know it's kind of like 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 an animal right so if you have if a dog is is a certain breed you don't no matter the way they're barking it it doesn't matter like if it's a chihuahua you know that that's a chihuahua if it's a rockwaller then it's a rockwaller rockwaller don't have to act mean you just know not to mess with that rockwaller because it's a rockwaller but he comes inside the ring you know, he's tight-lipped, and he has that look on his face, that grimace on his face, and just the way he throws his punches. like, And it looks like uh, somebody's acting like they're a fighter. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to him just doing it in a fluid manner. So um, I'm not necessarily mad at him 
And maybe he doesn't change his style because he's one of those type of guys, either you're going to look at him and root for him or it's going to be like, man, somebody knocked this dude out. You know, I don't want to see anything bad happen to him. Hopefully he'll work on some of the skills necessary in order to become a better fighter. But at this point, based on what I see of him, I don't see it ending well because he, everything that he does is so telegraphed that once he gets in the ring with somebody with the know-how, with the skills, the ability to set you up, then they're going to clock him on, on, on his chin. And the guy yesterday, Sparrow, he did a couple times. It's just that he didn't have the skills necessary to be able to compete. Um, and, you know, like I say, he came out mean, tight left. Sparrow came out you know, looking like a combination of Morris Day and Raheem from Juice. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but, man, I'm going to be honest with you. When I look at Romero, it's just – I feel like they forcing Romero on us. You know what I'm saying? It's like he was on the other card. It's kind of like the co-main event. And then now seeing him again, I think that it would be best for him again to – not necessarily. Don't show him right now. Let him work on some things first and get things together. Then you can put him on an undercard, a first fight of a, a decent fight card. You know, move him up like that, not out the gate. And then the other thing, Danny, that you mentioned, you said that he was fighting for this title. How does he have a belt? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and again, it's no knock on him. I just think that they are moving him a little bit fast for the level of skills that he has. Because once you do have any kind of belt, then you're going to have to increase your level of competition. He's not ready just yet. Like I say, he only has 13 fights, but they're moving him like he's like a Colbert or something like that. And he's not skilled in that manner, but he got the victory yesterday. And so it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. I don't want to be hard, too harsh on him because he is a kid. You know what I mean? And I, I want to see him do well. Hopefully he makes, you know, good money in a sport. But he's going to have to work on some things. You know, he's not – he's walking around here like he's Hector Camacho, and he's not Hector Camacho, bro. All right, so moving on to the next topic. The next topic that we're going to discuss, we got a fight coming up, man. This is going to be a – I think it's a unification matchup. And we have Miguel Burchette versus Oscar Valdez. Uh, who do you like in that matchup? Uh, this fight is going to be – uh, a very exciting fight, but I think Burchelle is gonna he's gonna um, stop Oscar Valdez in an exciting bout, of course. But I think Valdez is one of those fighters. I mean, he's undefeated, but he he never looks it when he's in the ring. And a lot of fights he's winning off a of, um, a volume. He's kind of like a, a Ricky Hatton in a way, where he he seems like he's gonna burn out quick. Where um, Miguel Burchelle. Um, you know he has the experience. He can, Michelle can do a lot of things. He can he he can brawl, but he also can box. He's a, he's probably a better uh, boxer overall. Um, he only has one loss from uh, Flores, who is currently fighting at welterweight. Uh, so that, that was a much bigger guy he was fighting. That was and and that was in 2014. Uh, as we've seen, Miguel has uh, gotten a lot better uh, since then. Um, but like I said, he can, he can um, box and he can brawl. Where uh, Valdez, he mainly just just brawl, and and he gets a lot of uh, leather thrown on him. Um, and even in the fight with uh, the Oscar had with 
uh, Mariega, um, he was being Valdez is being outworked. Uh, not just say outworked, but he was he was working Valdez before Valdez ended that fight. Um, he was giving him a good fight, and a lot of times that shows you what level you're on. Um, and Valdez relies on you know catching guys with those shots, and it's not going to always happen. I think in this fight, I think Miguel Burchell is going to um, stop Valdez in exciting fashion, an exciting fight. But I don't think Valdez is good. His, I think his, his face is going to hold up to it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup here. You got um, Burchell. Um, he, he, he's a really, really solid fighter. Um, to me, he's one of those guys that you're going to have to – against him, you're going to have to go through something in order to beat him. It's a couple ways that you can beat him. I think that you have to physically have the strength to be able to work with him and move him around on the inside. Or you might possibly be able to like outbox him or it could be you can catch him with something because that's I'll get to the to the what he's good at and then some of his deficiencies. Um, you may be able to catch him with something and then somebody who just like a blazing speed speedster you know, might be able to get him. Now, he has flaws, but now the pros about him is that he throws those combinations to the body and head. You know, he applies tremendous amount of pressure. I'm talking about nonstop. And then, like, he's one of those guys in any weight class, like, when he throws punches and he lands some of those shots to the body, like, you hear the shots, doom, doom, like those thudding punches to the body. And then he's just like that offensive firepower. And he's going to typically start off slow, but then it's just going to build up. And once he builds up to that crescendo, it's like it's nonstop. It's boom. You know, he's just going to keep going. You know, he's speaking of offense. He's like with the matchups that you have in the NFL, he is Kansas City Chiefs as far as offense. His offense is his defense, basically. But the problem with him that I noticed, and people haven't taken advantage of it, it may look worse than it actually is, but often he has his head like straight up in the air. You know, um, like I say, it's going to take a master boxer to be able to beat him, but they got to be physically strong enough to be able to withstand some of the things that he's going to bring to the table. But Shell, you'll never see him in a bad fight. I don't care who you match him up against because he's going to come with that offense. He's, he's like I say, nonstop. Now, as far as Valdez is concerned, the things that I've seen from him, is I think his major attribute is the fact that he's like one of those old blood and guts type guys. I saw him fight against Scott Quigg, and Scott Quigg, I think the fight was supposed to be at 130, and he was like 136, but he was unwilling to go drop back down, you know, and so um, Valdez was fighting a much bigger guy. But Quigg was putting it on him and to the point where he had Valdez – if you get a chance, just check out the highlights if you haven't seen it. It's a point in a fight where Valdez goes down. I don't think it was from a knockdown, but somehow he ended up on the ground. And he just spits up I'm talking about a tremendous amount of blood. And it, you had a lot of fights still left. Since then, he's switched trainers. And he's with Reynosa now. Um, and the last time that I saw him fight, it seemed like he was still in between styles. He's not trying to be in there brawling and mixing it up like that, that like he was before. He's more so trying to box you, and then at certain points he'll brawl. 
which is better for him in terms of sustaining his career because at that rate that he was fighting at before, there's no way that he had maybe one or two years left at that rate. Now, again, the last time I saw him fight, he was in between styles. So it was like it was either he was outside and he really wasn't doing too much anything or he was inside and he was throwing punches. I don't think that will be able to do anything with Burchelt. I, I don't I don't like this matchup for him. I just think that Burchelt is just going to beat him up. And I think that this might be his last hurrah. The only shot Valdez to me has is if he catches you with catches him with that left hook, which he does have a he does have a beautiful left hook. That's his only shot. Outside of that, I see um, Burchelt just beating him to a pulp. Yeah, I can't say it much better than you guys did. I, I just see Valdez being overwhelmed with players and uh, getting knocked out at some point, probably in the middle round. Uh, did you guys have anything else more on that one? No, I, see, I like that type of conversation right there because, see, that that's those to me, especially Burchell, and that's a champion right there. You know what I mean? Like, that's somebody that, you know, he has, like, top-level things that he does, like that offensive capability that he has. That is what you sh- would typically see in a champion. Like, back in the day when you had, just even not too long ago when you had guys like, um, Nicholas Waters when he was the champ. Like you can recognize and see his champ. I'm, I'm saying before he was not making weight and stuff like that. But when he was at the height of his career, you had dudes like that at in those weight classes. And you were like, yeah, you can see that being a champ. Like some of those guys we talked about before, like Fulton and Romero. <laughs> Romero. Like, no, those guys, like these just good, they little fighters. You know what I'm saying? Like these little, they, they just have their little bouts. But now that's a that's a champion right there. You know, I can see him you know, being what you would expect when somebody has a belt. That's the only thing I want to add. It's unf- I feel like these boxing commissions are doing a disservice just adding all these interim and regular and super championship belts because when you hear a championship fight, you come into it with expectation. And then when you see that, you know, if, it, if these weren't, fights weren't billed as such, then, you know, we would come into it with different expectations. And I put that more so in the commission than, than the fighters themselves. They just out there trying to feed their families, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you, Danny. It, it totally, 100%. It's like they watering down, you know, what it is to be a champion and expectations. And, like, from a fan standpoint, if they say that this is a championship bout, it's a certain expectation that you have in terms of the level of fight that you're going to see. You know, I don't know what prompted them to, like, just hand a belt out to pretty much everybody after a certain amount of fights that you you fought. I mean, they just make up belts to give guys. Um, I don't know if it has a – has a, and I, I don't want to, you know, just go on and on. You know, I don't, I'm a stickler for time now. But I don't know if this has anything to do with – you remember how Floyd Mayweather – I used to see um, certain interviews, like, and he would say things like, a belt, a belt doesn't make me, or mm-hmm. I'm bigger than a belt. And sometimes, you know, even guys like a Canelo will take that approach sometimes, too. I wonder if they looked at that and that was their response to that. You know, OK, well, he said stuff like we'll just give everybody a belt. I don't know. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense as to why they do that, unless it's more so about sanctioning fees and things like that. So they can make more money. I, I have no idea. But it's watering down the sport. Yeah, for sure. Even even when like when, when Jones and. 
Roy Jones Jr. and, and Tyson Floyd. I think there was like a a Black Lives Matter belt for that. Why can't this be exhibition? You know? Exactly. Yeah. But um moving forward, fellas. Uh recently they announced Jerron Ennis fighting Sergey Lippinet. Um it has not been named yet, but how how do we see that going, fellas? I like it. I, I think Boost, it's time for Boost to step up. And I think that um Sergey Sergey uh, Lipinets is somebody he's more than capable of handling at this point in his career. You know, it's gonna be a, a the stiffest test. Um, that he would have faced, but it's time, you know, to start um, fighting guys to see what it is and really where you are at in your career. So I like it. Um, I think that if it would take place, I would think that um, I, I just think this is a good gauge. I, I have no idea because I don't I don't know what Boots would do, you know, once they start upping his competition. I don't know in terms of, I think he'll win. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying in terms of the fashion in which he would do it. You know, he looks spectacular against the guys that he's facing right now, but we know you can do that against that level of opposition. So um, just to answer your question, I like that fight, um, them stiffening his competition. So yeah, I like this fight for Boots Ennis. Yeah, same. And just to, just to kind of lay it out there, Lipinets is 16, 1 and 1, 12 knockouts. Had a quality knockout against Lamont Peterson. His only loss was against Mikey Garcia, which was kind of debatable. And in his last fight, he got into a draw with, with uh, Custis Clayton. Um, like you said about Ennis, you know, just to add his record to that, it's 26 and 0, 24 knockouts. This is his first real test. He has superstar potential. You know, they kind of expect him to be when, whenever Errol Spence moves up or whatever, they expect him to kind of be one of those guys in the division. And, you know, that said, if Ennis can perform versus Lippinett at the level that he has performed against everybody else, he should win. Um, but Lippinett is one of the strikes already. He's a solid fighter. Um, in his draw against Clayton, Clayton's an older fighter at 33. Uh, Clayton looked good at the beginning, but held off in the later round. And so, you know, um, stamina may not be an issue for Ennis. And if he can, if he can continue to, to come forward and use his power, uh, he should be good in this one, I think. Yeah, I agree with uh, what both of you guys said. Uh, this is definitely a, a, a good step up for Ennis. Uh, I like that, you know, the level that he's trying to. To fight on to see if he can go even go to the next a further level. Uh Sergey Lipnitz, you know, um he only had that loss to Mikey Garcia. And he has a draw with uh Custio Clayton. To me, he's he's also known as a guy who pretty much um ended Lamont Peterson's career. You know, I, I saw Lamont Peterson actually uh change in that fight. Like from the beginning to the end, you can see where you know he just caught it a day as far as his career. You would see those moments within those rounds. Um, but he was already on, of course, uh, Pierce was already on the downside before that. Um, but this would be a a, a good test for, for Ennis. Um, he'll definitely get some, some uh, rounds in. Uh, Lipness, you know, never been stopped. Um, so, if Ron Ennis is the first one to do it, uh, it'll, it'll 
make a good statement. Um, it, it'll let everyone know and that you know uh, he's a force we recommend in the Westway Division because for now we, we only hear you know we only know what we see from the eye test and what he's doing to opponents uh, of, of lesser uh, level than what he's at. Um, but this will be a, a good fight. Um, even though Lipness, I think, is more suited to 140 than 147, you know, he's still a tough guy. Um, and I'm curious to see how uh, Ennis takes on this challenge, uh, how he rises to the occasion. Um, because, of course, everyone knows him. You know, I'm high on uh, Jerron uh, Ennis. So I want to see him succeed. But we'll, we'll see when this fight happens. Yeah, uh, uh, to add on what you're saying, it's hard not to be high on Ennis. You know, like I say, based on what you see, you know, those skills and how comfortable he looks inside the ring. I think in this fight, um, like you say, as far as Lipinus is concerned, he's better suited for junior welterweight, um, but he's a solid pro. But I think with this fight for Ennis, one of the biggest things he's going to have entering into the ring is going to be that reach advantage because Ennis has some pretty long arms for a welterweight. He's has 74 inch reach and Lipinus is going to have um, a 67 inch reach. So that's like a seven inch disadvantage. So at the end of the day, if things even get tough, he can just resort to just boxing Lipinus ears off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Ennis is um, pretty much welterweight to start out weight. So, so if he has a full career, uh, I see him going, I, he's pretty much going to be a middleweight. He's built like a middleweight pretty much. Um, he's pretty, probably the biggest of all the welterweights. Uh, the only exception is possibly, uh, possibly um, Errol Spence. But even then, I think uh, Ennis is just a much bigger guy. Um, you know, um, he seems like the type is going to end his career at, at middleweight or something like that. Can I ask you fellas a question real quick? Mm -hmm. Who who you like if if Ennis like at this point Ennis and uh, Virgil Ortiz? Who 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 you like in that matchup? Ooh, uh, ooh, those are two big guys. Um, I think Ennis has more to his game than Ortiz, and that's not a knock on Ortiz. Ortiz is uh has a lot of power and. He, sometimes his boxing ability is underrated because of his power, because he can do a lot of things also. Um, but I think Ennis is a little more versatile. Um, but it's hard to say because neither of those guys have, you know, stepped up to the, you know, the, a level, you know, where we can we can see start seeing those weaknesses and seeing those flaws manifest itself. But um, I always say if, if, if both of those guys rise up, that's going to be a super fight in the next, I say, about two, three years. Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, you don't, you don't see it happen for two or three years. You don't know who those fighters are going to be. But, um, man, that's tough. I, I, I might get a slight edge to, to Boots, but that may have more to do with who they put him up against up to this point. Okay, but, well, I mean, we can go on to the next talks. I'm not, I'm not touching on that one right there. <laughs> Yeah. That's really the thing because you, you just like you both say you just don't know. Yeah, um, no, they haven't. That's the other. Uh, that's the other uh, Oscar versus uh, Shane Mosley. <laughs> I mean, that's gonna be an interesting one. It, 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 you know, if they both continue to win, I can see that being a, a collision course. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, that'd be a goodie right there. That's why we, that's why we like boxing. I'm not complaining about that. I wouldn't complain about it. Um, hey, hey, Will, you set me up, man. I'm all ready to make that prediction on wax, hey, and you back. Hey, you, I respect hey, you. Might edit that out there, bro. <laughs> so, uh, moving along in other news, you know, we have a uh, a superstar who will be fighting uh, next month. It's interesting. He, he's had a fast uh, turnaround, so it, it, it's some good news that he'll probably be fighting more. You know, it, uh, the downside to it is, you know, the type of opponent he'll be fighting, uh, in my opinion. But um, in this fight we're talking about, is uh, saw Canelo Alvarez, and he'll be fighting uh, Abney uh, Yildirim on February 24th uh, next month. Uh, how do you guys see this fight going? I, I guess the short answer to that one would be I could see it going however Canelo wants it to go. Um, but, you know, the layout, out, Yildirim is 21-2, 12 knockouts. Um, for the knockout loss to Chris Bubank Jr. in 2017. His last fight was a technical decision loss versus Anthony Durrell. Um this is more like a state busy fight for Canelo. You know, he's facing a mandatory, so he doesn't vacate his title. Um, I'm not mad at it, necessarily. He plans to fight three times this year. He last fought two months ago, so... Um, you know, it'll be a state busy fight for him, but it'll go as long as he wants it to go. Yeah, this... Uh, I'm not exactly excited about the, the, the selection of opponent. But, you know, when you're the cash cow, when you Canelo, I mean, it's an event. And this one is going to be actually going to be entertaining. It's going to be an entertaining beatdown. Uh, when I watch uh, Abney Yildirim, uh, it'll probably be more entertaining even, than, even though he's not on the level of a Callum Smith. Uh, he'll likely be more entertaining to see against Canelo than Callum Smith because he's not going to try to, to run. He's, he's going to stand in front of Canelo. Uh, He's gonna wing shots at Canelo. He's gonna he, he fights with a high guard sometimes. Um, kind of gives a look of uh, Jeff Lacey or uh, Fernando Vargas. Um, kind of loads upon punches, but he doesn't really have a whole lot of power. I mean, we saw him against um, a Chris Eubanks Jr., uh, um, where Chris was pretty much out fighting him. Uh, but at some point, sometimes in the fight, they look like they're on the same they were on the same level. But Chris Eubanks was showing uh, you know, disparity a little bit, uh, and if he, if if you're at a, dis, uh, a skill disparity with Chris Eubanks Jr., uh, you're gonna definitely be at a, at a, a large mountain with Canelo. Uh, I see Canelo, you know, catching with counters, pretty much doing whatever he, whatever he wants to do. Uh, Canelo is, is probably because uh, Yildirim is a you know a, a big 168 pounder. He's uh, about six feet tall. He you know, muscular built like a tank. I think this would be Canelo trying to try out some things to, to see if he can uh, compete with the likes of a, a, a Bivol or a Bit of Beef or a Caleb Plant. I think this is just showing he's probably going to uh, work on some things and see what he can do against a fighter that's around that size. Yeah, uh, like you fellas said, this to me is just more so of a stay busy type fight. You know, when you fight um, some of the opponents that Canelo has faced as of late, like um, 
Kovalev, Light, Smith. You know, I don't mind a guy getting a soft touch in between some of those stiff, stiffer, uh, some of those stiffer opposition opponents that he's been facing. So, like I said, I don't, I don't mind it. So, um, I think this might be a mandatory. I don't see how this guy could be a mandatory when the last, the last fight that he fought that he lost. Like that doesn't make sense. They don't have to add that in there. Just say that you're gonna fight this guy and you want to get a tune-up in before you take on another champion. Because I think what it is is that since Canelo signed a three-fight deal with match room that he has this fight that they're allowing him to get a soft touch and then his next fight is supposed to be against billy joe in may for billy joe's i think billy joe has a wbo belt and then he'll face caleb um caleb plant in september so that's what the three fight deal with match room is supposed to set up uh, which is cool i mean he's fighting other champions and if he's able to unify the 168 pound weight class and I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that you know what i mean so it's it's cool i don't think it's anything to re um preview because i think that we all know what the end result of this fight is going to be um with that being said though we have a future star and devin haney um recently he stated that he would like the mikey garcia fight if those guys do Signed to fight one another. How do you like? How do you see that fight playing out? Yeah, actually, would, would would like this fight. Um, I feel like we will learn a lot more about Devin Haney than we will about Mikey Garcia. Uh, Mikey Garcia is is pretty much, even though he's about what thirty two or so, he's already pretty much a, a veteran at the game. Uh, he's a tough guy. You know, never been stopped. He, he only has one loss against uh, Errol Spence, which I think if any uh, body of that size or lightweight would have moved up, they would have suffered the same fate. Yet Mikey even still stuck in there. He didn't allow himself to get stopped, which is a testament to his toughness. Um, it's, it's interesting because even though Mikey Garcia, I think Devin Haney is, is bigger than yeah. Um I think – Haney, Haney uh, sweats himself down in 135, but not as as a, someone who walks around just uh, legitimately walks around heavy. I think he's just naturally a bigger guy uh, who can make 135. My only question is what weight this would be at. I mean, I'm I'm not sure if Mikey Garcia would want to go all the way back down to 135. I can kind of see his fight at 140, and um, if Devin Haney beat Mikey Garcia at 140. I can a better win than uh, Tiffany Lopez beating Lomachenko at 135. For the simple fact that Mikey Garcia has shown that he's can fight, can compete at higher weight. Uh, 140 is not really even really Mikey Garcia's uh, top weight or his ceiling weight. I think he, he can fight at 147, but I think 140 is more suited for him. So it's probably his best weight class. Where Lomachenko, I think, is, was a, always uh, – a lot smaller, a small 135. Um, plus, Mike Garcia has things he does well. He's a, he's a uh, he has great fundamentals. He's a great textbook fighter. He does everything textbook. He does everything right the way you would want to. Uh, he has a decent defense. Um, he has a little bit of pop. Um, but it, this is Devin Haney, and, and I've always been high on Devin Haney. So um, if, this, if he wants to fight Mike Garcia and he wants to 
make that his coming out party. I think he should. If I were him, I'll take the fight at 140 just to, to to show people I'm here. You know, I anyone who wants it, they can they can get it. And and if he takes that fight at 140, TFM Lopez cannot deny Devin Haney because we know Devin Haney can compete at that weight. Yeah, when I think about that, I mean, if you're just talking about them fighting in a ring, I can't um, pick Devin Haney over Mikey Garcia at this stage because Devin Haney, his resume is so, you know, uh, so light at this particular point in his career. So I, I see the skills there and I've seen some of the sparring sessions that he's been involved in. And most recently they put out a video of him fighting some up and coming 154 pound fighter. And I'm telling you, Bevin was holding his own in there um, more than holding his own, you know, as far as like showing the strength that it, it would take the maneuver and move around a bigger guy and, you know, um, just some of the shots that he was landing on the inside. I mean, he has the total package. Don't get me wrong, with the exception of the power. But I think at 135, it may be draining him a little bit, and he might be a better puncher at 140 than he would be at 135. Um, but who knows? But Mikey is such a veteran. You know what I mean? He's a, such a consummate professional. And the only time I've seen him not perform – well was against Spence and he was just outmatched and outgunned, you know, and he just is really not a 147 pound fighter. And he's fighting like one of the biggest 147 pound fighters that you can possibly face. So that's the only time I've seen him like that. Um, that experience that he has and that two fisted attack. And he knows some, some nuances as well because of the fact that he came up in a boxing family. And so Mikey, he knows his stuff, you know, in and out of the ring. So I would never pick Devin at this point in his career over Mikey Garcia just based on that. The other thing is I wouldn't want Devin to jump and fight somebody at another weight class. I mean, you got all that smoke in your weight class. I want them guys just to concentrate on fighting each other. And I know that them not fighting each other is not Devin's fault. And the fact that those guys are – you know, looking past him or looking around him that he may be willing and, you know, to get that mega fight that he's looking for because those other guys are playing games. And I understand that, but hopefully somehow, some way, you know, T.O., um, Teofimo Lopez decides to fight him and then that'll, you know, be a springboard for the other fights to take place. And each of those guys can do like a round robin type deal where they get it on because that's where, the energy is in the sport. And I'm going to tell you, the main person who's bringing that energy is Ryan Garcia. Like he, he, even last week when it came to making posts, like when we did the lightweights, I was reluctant on putting out videos of the other matchups because he just sucks the energy. Like everything is focused in on him and nobody is really going to pay attention to anything else when he's talking about either he's fighting tank or he's not fighting tank. So the spotlight is really on that young man. Hopefully for Devin's sake, he can get like a Tiafimo match, win it. And then, you know, the other guys will be more willing to fight him. And if they're not willing to fight him, then you can see where he is. And then you can go for Mikey Garcia. And that may even make Mikey want to fight even more because he has that big victory under his belt. But right now, I don't think there's anything in it for Mikey to drop down and wait to face a dead Devin Haney. 
Now, if the money's there, I'm sure Mikey would do it. You know what I mean? Because he's not ducking any smoke from anybody as well. The last thing I'm going to say about this matchup is, now, if I did say, I just haven't seen enough of Devin in the ring against stiff opposition. But typically, when you have guys who, with the skill set that Mikey has, he may have trouble against a slick boxer like Devin Hay. But like I said, I haven't seen enough of Devin against high caliber opponents to know whether or not he can bring the prerequisite skills inside the ring to be able to defeat Mikey Garcia. But we shall see. Yeah, I kind of like it for Garcia. I hate it for Haney for the reason you guys already said. One, like you said, Will, and, you know, clean out your division first. If you can't get the fight, that's, that's one thing, but... You know, up to this point, he he's a champ, and he hasn't fought any of the current top ten fighters in his division yet. Um, you know, that said, what we're discussing is still speculation. You know, it's based on something he said, but I would like to see him fight the actual lightweight fighters first, especially while the energy is that high. Um, yeah, I, I just don't like to fight for him at all at this stage of his career. Very high risk, moderate reward. Um, but you know, I, I like seeing. I genuinely like seeing Mikey Garcia fight, master technician. And so, um, if the fight were to happen, I would one hundred percent watch it. That's for sure. If you guys don't have anything else to say with that one, uh, we'll move on to our last topic. Adrian Broder is a name we have not heard in boxing for a while. Um, he has a date, but not a final yet. He's going to fight February 20th. He wants to fight three times this year. Third time will be for a world title if he has his way. How you guys see him faring against the top guys at the lightweight, at the 140 pound division? Good old AB um, popping back up, huh? Um, now, as far as Adrian Broner is concerned, um, him versus the top guys at 140. I'll look at it from, let me see. I say Josh Taylor. We got Ramirez. Then I, I even put Regis Progress in there. I won't say Maurice Hooker. I think that he might not be up there with those other guys. He's good. But let's look at it from AB versus those three guys. Now, as far as Adrian Broner, like when you look at him at the height of his career, AB has some skills, man. Like I'm talking about at the peak. Before he got to the point where he seemed like every fight, it's like he's just not throwing enough punches. He's not throwing enough punches. And but you can see the talent is there. But before that, he was throwing enough punches. It was one or two fights that he had. And I remember some announcers saying that. Um I can't think of the fights in particular, but I remember them saying that, you know, he, he needs to throw more punches. But for the most part, DeMarco, Perez, Reese, you know, when he was in that wheelhouse right there, I think that that A.B. would be all of the top guys at junior world to weight. But right now, based on what I've seen with him against Pacquiao, now I know these are like, you know, the cream de la creme, but you got Pacquiao, you had Mikey Garcia. Um, even against some of the other guys that he's faced, he fought that uh, another Taylor. 
Um, that was a close fight. He dropped the guy towards the end of the round. I mean, towards the, in the 12th round, and he ended up getting a victory. But this AB that we've been seeing for the last couple of years, I think that each of those guys, I'm not even going to do a breakdown of each of these guys. I think that they punch too much um, where he's going to get outworked by those guys. It may be close because he'll do enough where he'll win a few rounds, but at the end of the day, they are just going to outwork AB. And yeah, I just think that that's where he is in his career. And it's a shame because of the fact that AB, everybody says it, you know what I mean? He could have been this, or he could, if he just take it serious, you know, but I think sometimes he was taking it serious and at certain points, he just wasn't good enough to be certain guys. Um, but you can't play with boxing. Like you can't, um, sit up here and when you see him he has this fat belly you know what i mean and then it's like he out here partying all of the time then you see him he has trouble with the law and all of those type of things that this that lack of discipline he didn't put enough in the bank where once his career he gets towards this part of his career he can rely on certain things because he learned so much where you just have all of the fundamentals down and you can just beat guys just based on the fact that you just have those fundamentals. It's kind of like a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan towards the tail end of their career, right? So they, they get towards the end where Mike is not flying in the air anymore, but he put the work in so much, now I can rely on a fadeaway jump shot. And I see LeBron doing that as well, you know, now in his career. And even in boxing, you have guys who can stick around a long time, like a Bernard Hopkins, because they put that work and they were so disciplined and they learn so much throughout their career that they just know the nuances of the game and they can compete at a high level as they age. AB didn't put that work in, you know, out the gate or throughout his career to be able to fall back on those fundamentals. Now it's like, okay, now I'm back in the box and I'm training. And so some of the things that you are supposed to have now, you still attempting to learn those things and you just in shape more now you know, throughout the year and just being in shape is different than putting that work in on a consistent basis in training, um, studying this, studying that, and just being, making boxing like your life, you know, and I understand that you have to have this image, but I think that what he should have approached it in the manner of you can showcase that, lifestyle to the world but really that's just something that you an image that you putting out there in order to you know generate more um bigger paychecks and stuff like that because you just draw an interest right from the fans and they just want to see you and, and all of that type of stuff but i think he began to live that and you know as opposed to just showcasing that to the world kind of like floyd mayweather he'll show you like he he's partying all the time and that's what it looks like but if you hear anybody who who is um, who knows Floyd, they like, oh, well, he was doing that. But at, right after that, we went out there and went for a five mile run. And so A.B. didn't put any of that um, in the bank. And so for that reason, these other guys do. I, I see Josh Taylor. He's all about um, becoming the undisputed champ. Ramirez has that dog in him. Progress is going to be he reminds me of Teron Millett back in the day, but with a better chin. But he's going to keep coming. He's throwing power shots at you. I don't see him defeating any of those guys. It may have taken a long time to get to my response,
But at the end of the day, I think at this stage of his career, he won't do well against that level of opposition. Yeah, first of all, I want to say shout out to him for, for getting out of that the, the depression that he was in. Uh, he was depressed for a while. He got out of state. Uh, he recently got back in state. Seems like he wants to turn his life around. So, look, anybody, especially a black man that you know can beat depression and wants to change your life for the better, look, shout out to you. That said, we're talking about prize fighting. AB is 33 and 4. Last fight was against Pacquiao in January 2019. Um, the AB that people reference as a boxer, um, time, time flies, right? So the AB that people reference as a boxer, top tier AB, we're talking eight, nine years ago. You know, um, and, and time flies. Since then, he hasn't made a whole lot of noise. And so, and, and, and like Will said, he, even when he was in, during that time period, it was an active boxer. He had a tendency to blow up in between, in between camps, and getting in shape was half the battle with him. So now he's just now getting back in shape, and he still has the ring rust. He has a lot of things working against him. On top of him not having that strong foundation, because again, like Will said, he didn't put the work in, and so. I am not convinced that he's a top guy at 140 or even a middle guy at 140. Um, I, I think that I need more data on the 2021 version of OB, and I, I will be able to better assess, but I don't like him in either of these fights either. Yeah, like you guys said, um, this is a, a simple answer. It's not even complicated enough to really break down how he would do against these guys. The simple answer is Adrian Broner is talented enough, and he has this, he has a lot of things working for him that he should be able to beat all these guys on the list. But the reality is he won't beat all those guys because of his flaws. And it, it's, it's kind of sad because now you see someone who realizes it's like a, a switch has cut on, and he realized, man, I might be on the downside of my career. And, um, and now he's trying to make up for everything he did not do because uh, boxing, we all know, is more than just, you know, get into physical shape. Uh, as you said, Danny, it's, uh, you have to be constantly learning, you know, because your body is evolving, you know, even your mind is evolving. So your, the style you box with, your fundamentals, they should evolve also. And I don't really see that with uh, Agent Broner. He's just someone who ha- has the skill that he came in and with in with which is not like he doesn't have skill he, he's very skilled but his skill hasn't really progressed we know he's fast he still has pop we know we saw him drop uh sean porter so he still has some pop when he decides to throw punches but i never I haven't seen him really progressed uh that much and it's pretty much it's kind of sad and um one thing I, I really don't like uh and i used to do it myself was compare Agent Broner to uh, Zab Judah and say his career is like Zab Judah. Um, and I don't think that's really fair to Zab Judah because Z- while Zab had his flaw, uh, even outside the ring, what have you, he still he had a sense that he took the sport seriously, especially when you know fights would happen. 
Uh, he didn't make it excuses. For, uh, a lot of excuses for his losses. He took this fight game seriously. Um, you don't see any pictures or video of, of Judah walking around with a beer belly or uh, even when, when Judah's eye shape, he still looks in shape. You know, he, he still looks like he can do something. Adrian Broner uh, looks like a guy who doesn't really t- take the sports seriously. It's like he wants to be a, a – he's, he's more addicted to the idea of being famous. Actually, he's more like uh, Conor McGregor, who just lost yesterday. Uh, I think – as a matter of fact, I think those two could set up an exhibition bout. You know, they could do a boxing and MMA. Two, two guys like that, they can make a lot of money, you know, Conor McGregor versus Adrian Broner. Because <laughs> that's what both these guys want to do. They want to be famous. They don't want to take the sport they're in seriously. You, you know, Conor McGregor doesn't – he seems like he just goes off his physical talents and not really uh, serious about what he does or progressing with what he does. So – and Adrian Broner is the same way. I think – and then both these guys are 32 and it always – already seem like they're on the, 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 the tail end of their career, especially with Broner, considering that someone like Pacquiao is, you know, 41, 42. And, and even though we know Pacquiao is passing and, and pretty much done, he still seems to look like he has more than Adrian Broner right now. So it's really sad for Adrian Broner. And I know he can turn around physically, but the question is, can he turn around on a, a fun, turn it around on a fundamental level, on a mental level? Uh, and, and, and also on a, yeah, on a, a mental level. And, and the answer, I think, is no. He's not a Bernard Hopkins or anything like that. So I think his, his ship has sailed. He loses to all these guys that he should beat. And, and that's Adrian Broner for you. We got anything else before we wrap things up? All good. No, sir. So I got Yeah, we record this on, um, well, this week we on Sunday. And right now, as we end this recording, the Green Bay Packers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers have just started. And so on that note, let me go ahead and get over here to this TV so I can root on my team. Yeah, all right. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, they know the handles. They know the handles, man. But now, if you don't know, come on now. All right. And spread the word, too. All right, peace. Peace.